Romans 3.31. Paul said, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. When we come into the faith of Jesus Christ, we become born again by the Spirit of God, having become new creatures in Christ Jesus, the very life that we live should not be contrary to the law, but should establish the law as being good and just. That you may prove that that which is of God is good and acceptable and perfect, the word of God says. Now, I said all this just to let you know that when a person becomes saved, God gives them grace, which is the active enabling force within us, giving us the desire and the power to do things God's way. Now, that's a new source of input into the life of the individual. Now the Spirit is alive, and there's a new source to come into our lives to begin to change the words that come out of our mouth. You see what's happening? We've told you how it comes this way before the words come out of a person's mouth that's unsaved. Now we've got a new source that's going to begin to pour into our lives and change us and make us to be what God wants us to be. There's no more bondage, no more enslavement to fear when a person comes to Christ because Christ has redeemed us from fear. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So now, these things that have been binding us and controlling us in the past, they are not to control us any longer. Now, there are many Christians who are still walking in bondage to these things because they don't know their position in Jesus Christ. Can I say that again? There are a lot of people that are still Christians today that are still walking in bondage to a lot of these things that have come into their lives through the natural source because they don't know their position in Jesus Christ. And now to be living by faith. And now a Christian is one in whom Christ dwells. That's a Christian. We move into the area of, of faith here. The six evidences of salvation in the life of an individual. Now I want to establish this first of all so that you'll know how we begin to get this new input of information. The first one is when a person is genuinely born again of the Spirit of God, he has a new awareness of what is right and what is wrong. Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, whereby sin did not affect you before, sin did not concern you before, suddenly there comes an awareness of right and wrong in your life because your spirit has been quickened. In Luke 19, 8, we see an evidence of this when Jesus went to Zacchaeus' home with him and had dinner with him. And Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector, but he was a leader of all the tax collectors in that area. He was a very powerful man in the government. And the word says that afterwards, when Jesus was ready to leave Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus said, Good master, I'm going to give half of all my goods to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone at all, I'm going to, if I find out that I've made a mistake and cheated someone, when I go back to correct that, I'm going to give them back four times as much as I took. So what happened? Jesus said, truly, I say unto you, salvation has come into this house this day. Why? Because all of a sudden Zacchaeus, whereby he was absolutely dead to any awareness like that before, suddenly became aware of the righteousness of God and the desires of God for his life, and he was aware of what was right and what was wrong, and he was going to make things right from then on. The second thing is a hunger for God's word. This is one of the good evidences of a person having been born again of the Spirit of God. I really become concerned when I see people saying, Oh, glory to God, I've been born again. And you say, Have you been in the Word? I just don't understand the Word. Now, if you don't understand the Word, there's something wrong. You may not understand all of the Word, but the Word tells me as babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that's the way we ought to be. When we come into Christ, there should be a hunger, a crying out 
like a little baby for milk. Now, all of you mamas know what I'm talking about. You daddies know what I'm talking about. I can still remember in the middle of the night, I used to think, can't you wait till morning? They'd cry out for milk. They wanted more milk, more milk, more milk. You go over to the foreign nations, foreign lands, the, the different evangelists that are traveling around the world, they say that one of the most outstanding features over there is when you find new believers in an area, they'll have you sit down and teach them the word. And you'll, so you'll think, well, I'm really going to give them a full load today. I'm going to preach like I've wanted to at home. So they preach for two hours. And they get up and get ready to leave. And they'll say, oh, no, sit down, teach us the word. Well, okay. And they think, well, I'll give them another 30-minute sermon. And they get down, and 30 minutes and an hour passes. And they say, amen. They get up and start leaving. No, no, sit down, teach us some more of the word of God. And I've had men come back and say, brother, I have sat for 12 hours at a time teaching the word of God. Not one person falling asleep. Not one person getting restless and wondering what's next. Just going on and on and on. They can't get enough of the word. Now that's an evidence of the new birth when people are hungry for the Word of God. Of course, we've got it so much over here that all we do is sit many times and just almost burp because we're just so full of it. And the reason we're so full of it is because we don't go out and share it and empty it out somewhere else. You know, this is one of the... I think if there's any problem that a pastor has, it's finding a filling station. And I don't mean for gas. I mean for, for himself being fed, feeding himself. It's great to give out and to give out and to give out. Not too long ago, someone said to me, I don't know how you prepare two or three sermons a week. Well, one of the best ways is to have series, I'll tell you that, because you just, you just keep it, you know what you're going to preach on, that's for sure. But beyond that, you have to find places to fill up. You have to read the Word yourself, read other material yourself, pray, seek God's face. This is a, a, a clear evidence of a person being born again with the Spirit of God when they begin to hunger for God's Word. I can remember when I first worked at the flour mill, uh, right the day after I accepted Christ, I went back to flour mill and I put the New Testament my sister gave me right here where cigarettes had been before. And so every time I reached for that, I'd pull it. You know, I, they satisfied more than the others did. They kept writing on the package that I had that they satisfied, but they kept putting 20 in every package. Afterwards, I realized why if they satisfy, why they put 20 in the package. But I could pull out my New Testament and read it and stick it back in there and go in and I could just get so much blessing out of it and I'd come back after the next break and I'd grab my New Testament and begin to read it again and I just couldn't get enough of it. That's evidence of the new birth. The third thing, desire for a changed life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is, that's present tense, is a new creation or a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, let me correct one misapplication of that verse. Some people say, all my past sins are completely gone. I don't have to make any restitution whatsoever. If I went out and robbed the bank yesterday and I come and accept Jesus tonight, it's settled. If I have lied at my employment and stolen something from my employer and I get saved tonight, that's all past. Don't have to take care of it. I don't believe that. I believe that if I have come to Christ and really repented of my sins, I'll go back when the Spirit of God prompts me and shows me that that's sin in my life. I'll go back and say, I want you to know that Christ has come into my life and has made a change and I sinned against you and I want to ask you to forgive me. Now, to me, that's evidence of the new birth. Increase in testing. Becoming a Christian does not mean I'm going to be on the popularity, be in a popularity contest because if you really love the Lord and you really speak up for the Lord and you really witness and testify, the world is not going to enjoy having you around too much. In the world, you shall suffer. The, the, the godly, they that live godly, will suffer persecution. Now you say, well, brother, I'm not suffering persecution. That ought to tell us something. If we really live godly lives, let me again tell you the reason why a lot of us aren't suffering is because the godliness that we are, many people are establishing today 
is this godliness. They've got so much that's come from this direction and not enough has come from this direction to feed them that the standard that they're holding is not too irritating to the world at all. The only time that the world sees a vast difference is when they get ready to go to church on Sunday morning and the world doesn't. But during the week, many times they walk and they talk and act just like the world. And so the world doesn't get irritated over that. But when we live godly lives, then the world sees death, that they are dead and we're alive. And they don't like that. The next thing is love for other Christians. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. Six evidences of being born again of the Spirit of God. The sixth one is a desire to tell others about Jesus Christ. Matthew 4.19, Jesus was walking along the shores of Galilee. Remember, he was preaching and he jumped into Peter's boat and they cast off from the shore and he preached. And then he said, now go out and uh, throw your nets in the water again. And he said, now Lord, we've just fished all night and caught no fish. <clears throat> Lord, I'm a fisherman and I've checked the moon and I've checked the tide and, and this isn't the time to go fishing. But the word says that Peter obeyed him at his voice and he went out and cast in his nets and the nets became so full they began to tear and he called his friends out and they brought their boats out and they started catching fish and the boat was almost ready to sink. Can you imagine what a thrill it must have been in Peter's life to have said, man, my business is finally getting on its feet. It's finally getting established. I'm going to make a profit and I'm going to be able to pay off my boat now. I'm really beginning to go in this business. Now, that's the natural response, isn't it? But the word says that as soon as he came to shore with a boat loaded with fresh fish, the word says he immediately left everything and followed Jesus because Jesus said, come after me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. And Jesus said that we have a task and that is we're debtor to all men. Paul says, I'm a debtor to everyone. Now, God didn't give me this gospel message just so that I could just be a have a bless me meeting the rest of my life. So I can get with other Christians and get goosebumps running up and down my back and begin to see the gifts flow. You know where many of the ministry, most of the ministry gifts were used in the New Testament? They weren't used in fellowships with believers. They were going out and ministering to the unsaved and letting them see the power of God in their lives. And consequently, fruit came from that. People were saved and churches were established and it began to grow. Peter says that we should be ready to give an answer at any time for anyone that asks us a reason for the hope that lies within us. One of the greatest evidences, I think, of a person genuinely being saved is when they begin to get a burden for the lost around them. I remember the night I got saved. I immediately said to my sister, I said, you know, I've got to go out and get a hold of my buddy and tell him about Jesus Christ. I don't want him going to hell. And then I started telling him, I've got to go talk to this one. I've got to go talk to that one. That wasn't like me before. The input that I'd had before gave me no desire, or interest, or concern about anyone else except Joe West. These are evidences that are, we should see in our lives if we've truly been born again of the Spirit of God and the grace of God has been manifested in our lives. They're talking about the tongue. When you look at that little unruly thing in the middle of your mouth, you realize that its roots, God says, goes clear down into your heart. And it's only going to say what's there. It can't say what isn't there. It's only going to cause to spill out what's already there. Now, if it's absolutely filled with faith in God's word, nothing else can spill out. If it's filled with a mixture of the flesh, that's what James was talking about. He says, with one, one minute we bless God with his tongue, the next minute we curse men. This, this, my brethren, this ought not to be. It causes us to begin to search our heart and say, Lord, 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, don't let my mouth, put a guard in front of my mouth, but I don't say anything that will bring damage to the body of Christ or to the name of Jesus Christ whom I represent. This to me has caused me to reassess what's in my heart. I've always been very, very conscious of what I say. But now I'm even more conscious of, Lord, what's in my heart. Because if I, my heart is right with you, these imaginations and everything else are going to be taken care of. And I'll speak the right thing. Now, let me just say this. If you find that there's a very small interest or no interest in these things that I'm talking about right now, it may be evidence that you have never been born again in the Spirit of God. If you don't hunger for the Word of God, if you don't hunger for fellowship with God's people, if you don't hunger or desire to cause other people to know that they're, that they're lost and they need to be saved, this is, this is, these are evidences of a person that's been born again. If not, you may have had a religious experience and you may be churchified. You may be religious, but you're not born again of the Spirit of God and you need to know in your heart that you're born again of the Spirit of God. Because you can't please God otherwise in any way, shape, or form. Even speaking on these things tonight, if there's a hunger, a desire comes up in your heart, say, Lord, I want this in my life. This is the way I want to be, Lord. Just begin to do a work in my heart. That's evidence that there's the Spirit is alive and the Spirit is trying to be what God wants you to be. The heart wants to be in tune with God. And I hope we have that hunger in our hearts tonight. And I trust you will remember that last Sunday morning we started by reading to you from Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 10. And Paul, in the book of Ephesus, was telling us, first of all, that when Jesus Christ comes into the life of a believer through repentance and faith, that we're quickened, our spirits are quickened suddenly to be aware of his presence, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We're raised up and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We begin to recognize and realize that by experience the kindness of God being manifest in our lives. We're saved by grace through faith, he tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and we're saved unto good work. Having been redeemed from our sins, the evidence of having been that redemption manifests itself in good works. We, because we are saved, we begin to walk in good works. Now, you remember last week I gave you a definition of grace. I said that grace is God's active enabling force within us, giving us the desire and the power to do things God's way. That is what the Word says, for by grace are you saved. For by grace are you saved, by God implanting grace into our lives to give us for the first time the ability and the understanding to do what he wants us to do. You see, the Word of God says that the, the natural man cannot do the things that please God. He's not subject to the law of God. He can't be. He's totally void of an understanding of God in his life. And when God comes and imparts grace to you and me, that gives us the ability to do what he wants us to do. And that's what he does when we come to a saving knowledge of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I went on to tell you what grace was not. I won't get into that today. But I laid down these six evidences of salvation last week for you to get you to understand that when a person has received Christ, that God brings us out that he might bring us in. What do I mean by that? He brings us out of the world that he might bring us into a life of fruitfulness, of blessing, of productivity, of relationship and fellowship with him. And so the minute we come to Christ, we find that there's a new awareness in our life of right and wrong. What at one time was right to me suddenly became wrong. And what was at one time wrong and dead and useless to me suddenly became alive and right and purposeful. And so we went on to say we had a hunger for God's word. That's an evidence of the new birth, a desire for a changed life. We want Christ to make a new creature out of us. 
We will find increase in testing because the enemy will come against us. We have a love for other Christians and we desire to tell others about Jesus Christ. Now, those are the things that we talked about last week. And you'll remember on the first chart that I gave you on the sources of our words, I, I showed you that before that faith comes into the life of an individual, this is all that was evident in his life. He received information and it was processed into his understanding and his imagination, his mind, his will, his emotions, all from the physical senses coming into him. Satan would come to him and speak to him down in his heart and tempt him. And of course, there was nothing there other than moral standards that had been established by society to keep him from doing those things which are wrong. Now, again, this is very difficult for us to understand in the United States because we see so many people that morally seem to be fairly good comparatively, and they'll always compare themselves to somebody worse, but they say, look, you see, I don't drink and chew and cuss and do all those other things that, 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 that you Christians don't do, so aren't I just as good as you? They don't understand that doing good works does not give us eternal life. But because we have been raised in a country that's had the word of God as established to the foundation of our very government originally, that many people today are moral. In fact, uh, we were watching the other night a program on television. My wife said, you know that that particular girl's grandfather was a Bible-believing evangelical preacher? And here this woman has gone into deep sin and immorality and everything else. And, and I thought, now she has probably got a lot of standards. She might not do this and that and the other thing. Because of her background and her, up and her upraising by her parents and grandparents, but she's a far cry from what God desires in her life but she would still have a moral standard because of the principles upon which she had been raised that originally came from biblical principles. Now, when you go to heathen nations, this isn't so. All right, in many of them. Now, I want to say that there are many religions that their religion is doing good works also, but that's their form of salvation, their means of salvation. In the natural man, this is all he has in the way of understanding and knowledge through the five senses. And his decisions come from this. That's why they want to get their reasoning sharpened, get their minds sharpened, so that they can understand more principles of truth as the world knows truth. But when a person comes and repents of their sin and receives Jesus Christ into the heart, we move into a totally new area. The Word says that their spirit is quickened, and suddenly they move into an area of faith. Now, Bill Gothard said this about faith. He said, faith is visualizing what God intends to do. I've never heard it expressed like that before. Faith is visualizing what God intends to do. You think upon that for a while and you'll find it's a good definition. Up until the time you and I come into Jesus Christ, there's no way we can comprehend what God wants us to do. But when he imparts grace to us and causes us to be quickened spiritually, suddenly he gives us divine faith which enables us to visualize and understand what God intends to do. And when we're obedient to him and step out in that faith, we begin to see miracles happen. Let's just look at a few verses concerning faith that you can apply to this particular definition. First of all, Hebrews 11.6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Then in Galatians 3.11, you won't have to turn to it. Galatians 3.11 tells us the just shall live by faith. Romans 14.23 
tells us, for whatsoever is not of faith is what? Sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. If we do something without visualizing what God intends to do, then it's sin. Why? Because it's not necessarily what God intends to do, and we must do the works of God. Jesus said, I came to do the works of my Father. All right? And how does this faith come to us? Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How do we get more faith? Hearing more of the word of God. All right? And then what does this faith do once it comes into our lives? 1 John 5, 4. They see the natural man cannot move in this realm because his spirit has not been quickened, and it's impossible for him to visualize what God intends to do. But once his spirit has been quickened and he's been born again of the spirit of God, he can begin to move in these realms. And the more he hears God's word and the more he gets it down into his heart, the more he'll move in these areas. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. It's this faith. Once we get it down into our heart to begin to exercise this faith, that's the victory. That's the thing that gives us the victory over the world, John tells us. And then 1 Peter 1, 9. Verse 5, first of all, says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then, let me just read it on down there to the sixth verse. Wherein we greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, your unheaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and glory and honor at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your what? Faith, even the salvation of your soul. He says now, as you walk in this faith, as you receive this faith and be, are quickened by the Spirit of God, he says the end result of that faith is the salvation of your soul. That's what God's going to do in our lives. We have salvation now, but he's going to redeem us out of this world and draw us up to be with, him, with himself. Up till now, we've only been here, but now we've got a new input, and that is the word of God, since our hearts have been quickened by the spirit of God, the word of God is a new source of quickening to our spirit. And again, through the five senses, the word of God declares that that's the way it comes. First of all, Ephesians 1.18 has to do with our eyes. I have to read just a little bit ahead of that, I believe. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the what? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principalities and powers. Paul says now my prayer to God is that your spiritual eyes of understanding will be opened. So that when you see these things in God's word, God will reveal spiritual understanding to you and it will come down into your spirit and it will begin to control your life. Now, when any information comes in through the five natural senses and comes up into your spirit and the information coming down into your soul and then the information coming from God's word comes down through your spirit into your soul, you have another source of information coming to you from God. 
and you compare the two. But you see, what happens in your decisions here will be based upon this commitment you made when you came to Jesus Christ. He said, Father, I give to you, as Paul had declared that I should in Romans 12, 1 and 2, my whole body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto you. I declare that I am crucified with Christ. I die to the flesh. I will not respond to the flesh as I did before. I reckon myself dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto you now. And your word I will obey. When I hear your word, when you speak to me, Father, I will be listening and I will obey it. Now, you see, the natural man cannot do this. He cannot perceive the things of God because they, he's not subject. He's dead. But once he becomes quickened and alive, all of a sudden, you know, my sister couldn't explain to me what had happened in her life, that it was so changed, but I could see that something had happened that changed her life completely. Now, she tried to describe it to me, but I couldn't understand when she said the Lord spoke to me or the Lord showed me or God revealed to me. I used to think, I don't understand what you're talking about. I couldn't. I was spiritually dead. But when Christ came into my life that night, suddenly the Word of God became alive to me. Now, before I was a Christian, I tried to read this several times because I'd see her reading her so industriously. I'd pick it up and read it and I'd say, boy, that sure is dry stuff. I don't understand that. You know why? Because the Word says that this Word is spirit, and it's spiritually discerned. I was dead. My spirit was not alive until Christ quickened me, and suddenly this became a love letter to me. And when I read it, God began to open my spiritual eyes of understanding. Now I have two sets of eyes, as it were. I can look out and see the natural world, but I see that when I see the natural world today, I'm seeing it through the light of the Word of God. When I see people walking, I don't just see people walking, I see eternal souls walking. When I see people in need, I don't just see a physical need, I see a spiritual need. Isn't it interesting how Jesus saw things in their proper perspective when this man was lowered down on that, on that uh, little pallet down through the roof, the men tore up the roof and put him down on this pallet right down in front of Jesus, and Jesus looked down at him and said, Be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, you know, if there had been a doctor there, would say, hey, let's deal with first things first. Take care of the guy's body, then we'll take care of his soul, huh? But Jesus saw that in proper perspective, he saw the real need of that man was not the physical. Sometimes we get all hung up on the physical needs, but Jesus looked at the words as God looks on the heart. And he saw that man needed more than anything else for his heart to be made right with God. He said, your sins be forgiven you. And someone said, who does he think he is that he can say their sins are forgiven? Does he think he's God? Jesus perceived that this was in their, their hearts, and so he said, uh, just so that you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, I, I, sir, take up your bed and go on home. And he was healed. We need to be able to perceive, as Jesus did, the true needs in the lives of individuals. That won't happen until, as Paul said here, I'm really praying that God will open your eyes of understanding. Now, the more we read the Word of God, the more our eyes of understanding will be open. The more we hear the preaching of the Word of God, the more the eyes of our understanding will be open to perceive all that God has for us. Can I share something with you? I said it last night, and I've said it several times in this past few years. I, I feel that I have just barely cracked the door to see what God has in store for those that love Him. As far as what, what He wants to do in our lives. I've had some people say, Oh, Brother Webb, are we moving too far? Are we moving too fast? Uh, I sometimes wonder if we're even moving. I almost feel like God's driving stakes alongside of us to see which is moving faster, the stake or me. 
Because I, I really feel that if we would really have our eyes of understanding open, we'd see a lot more of what God wants to do in our midst. And we'd begin to experience more and more of it every day. The first thing he says is, when you come to Christ and the word of God gets down into your heart, God begins to open your spiritual eyes of understanding. Do you remember when the, Jesus was, met these men on the road to Emmaus? They were walking along after the, the death and burial of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, he walked up and said, what's the matter? They said, oh, haven't you heard? Haven't we heard what? Well, haven't you heard that we thought that he was the one, that we knew for sure that he was going to be the Messiah, and, and now they, they crucified him on the cross, and they buried him, and oh, we just don't understand. They walked all along, and Jesus began to, starting with the very beginning, started telling them all about himself, teaching them about Christ, the word of God said. Now here they were with the Son of God teaching them, walking, fellowshipping, talking with him. They hadn't seen the thing yet. And then when he started to go on past where they lived, they said, well, why don't you come in and have supper with us? And he was acting as though he was going to go on. They, they constrained him. No, no, no. Come on in. Have supper with us. And so finally it says he turned. He came in. And they sat down. And as they broke bread, suddenly it says their, what? Their eyes were open. And when I read that, my heart cry is, oh, God, somehow open my eyes to see Christ as I ought to see him. Wasn't it on the Mount of Transfiguration that suddenly their eyes were opened and they suddenly saw Elijah and Moses and Christ standing there in, the, in glory? Of course, Peter, impetuous Peter, suddenly wanted to build three tabernacles. Elisha's servant up on the mountaintop, he was sitting on the mountaintop just shaking because uh, Elisha, everything that the king over the kings, the enemy kings were announcing they were going to do to Israel, the prophet Elisha already knew about it and he went and told the king of Israel said this is what they're going to do they're going to try to attack you over here and over here and over there and, and Israel will just be prepared for him and lay a trap and get him and the king over there said I don't understand what's going on somebody must be sitting in my bedroom chamber listening to every word I whisper because every thought I think the king of Israel already knows it someone said well you know there's a prophet over there in that land and that's why he, he knows he, he serves the living God and that God tells him everything you talk about and everything you think about they said go get him so they came to the mountain, and here, here were all these soldiers standing around the mountain. They said, Prophet, come down from that mountain. No, I'm not coming down. They said, You better come down, we'll come get you. And his servant was sitting next to him, and he was just shaking. So I imagine he was saying, uh, Sir, why don't we go down? Let's not, let's not get him up all upset, huh? Let's, let's go on down and, and get with them. You know, they can be pretty mean. I've seen what they've done before. You know, they, they, aren't, they don't have a lot of good culture within them. They, they can tear you up if you don't do what they say. So what did the prophet say? Lord... Open his eyes. Remember? Open his eyes. Now the prophet saw something that the servant didn't see at all. Why? Because he was in that realm of the spirit where he saw the things that God was doing. Saw what God intended to do. He was walking in faith. And the word says that the servant's eyes were opened and suddenly he saw the whole mountainside covered with chariots of fire and angels. And he said, they that be with us are much more than they that be with those few soldiers down there. And one group after another would be destroyed as Elisha would speak the word. Remember? You see, that's what Paul says. I want your eyes, the eyes of your understanding to be open. That can only happen to the believer. That can only happen to the born-again believer. The eyes of your understanding to open to begin to comprehend what God has in store for you and what he wants to do in your life. The second aspect is hearing. Revelation 2.7. Time and time and time again, Jesus said to John the Beloved on the Isle of Patmos, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Now he's talking that, now he's not just talking about this ear though, is he? 
I've seen a lot of people that have these hanging on both sides of their head, and I sometimes wonder if they ever hear anything. My kids have ears on both sides of their head, but there are lots of times they don't hear a thing I say. Let him that hath ears to hear. Now, he again is not talking about this physical ear down here. He's talking about that spiritual ear. Over in Romans 10, 17, look at it. Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, can I tell you again, he's not talking about these because some of you have heard and heard and heard and heard the word of God through these ears, haven't you? I've heard many verses of, of God's word through these ears, but I, many of them I've never heard down here in my spirit, in my heart, where the change has to come. And when God's word talks about let him that hath an ear hear what the spirit of God says to the churches, he's saying, get the wax out of your spiritual ear. You've been quickened to hear God's voice. But you know something? There are many, many people who have made a profession of having accepted Christ 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago that if you were to say to them, what has God said to you lately? Huh? What's God saying to you today? Where, what area of your life is he dealing in? Huh? I go listen to the preacher. I don't listen to God. I go listen to the preacher. When the preacher preaches, you ought to say, now, Lord, what do you got to say about that? And then let the Spirit of God speak to your heart, you see, because you've got two sets of ears. You say, are you sure about that, Brother Webb? Yeah, I'm sure about that. And many, many times, you see, some people feel, if I go to church and just listen with these ears, I'm all right. Well, if that's all you hear, now, that, that, that'll get it inside your head, into your brain, but you know as well as I do, there's a lot of things that go through your brain. You take a picture of it, but it gets overexposed or underexposed. You know that happens many, many times. I've had people come to me with scripture verses, and they try to show me something, and my spirit does not, my, my, I'm just not open to receive that. My eyes aren't open. My ears aren't open. I, I'm just not ready for that yet. Let me assure you, you can just talk until you're blue in the face, but a person's heart is not ready to receive something, they won't receive it. I'm talking about down in the spirit. I can call on families and call on families and call on families and pray with them and read the verses to them, but in my spirit I sense, uh-uh, it's not getting through. No, they put up a wall inside. Okay? Any, of you, every, any of you ever felt that you tried to minister to someone or talk to somebody about the Lord and you feel they've just taken a little wall and go, well, what are we talking, that's what he's talking about here. Well, what I'm trying to share with you is the fact that you can have your ears here washed out nice and clean and no wax in them and hear them and walk out of here. But if the Spirit of God isn't causing your spiritual ears to hear and comprehend and understand that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, then you're not receiving what God the Spirit wants to say to you. Let everyone that hath ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, that's what happens. There are many, many times I'm preaching on one subject and somebody will come up afterwards with tears in their eyes and I'll, you know, the old naturalist, what part of my message was it that spoke to your heart this morning? Oh, it wasn't that. No, you, you quoted a scripture verse and God just struck me right in the heart with that verse and I didn't hear a thing you said after that. You know, the, the old pride goes right down, you know. But that's exactly what it is. 
You've got an inner ear, and when I say something to you, I'm believing that somewhere along the line, something that God has given to me, some truth that God has revealed to me, as it comes out to you, mingled with the Word of God, that the Spirit of God will take it into your spiritual eyes, your spiritual heart, and you'll see it for the first time, and the Spirit of God will begin to work in your heart. And unless that happens, there will be no change in your life or mine. It's impossible. Third is feeling. James 4, 8. Talking about the emotional aspect of it, drawing nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleansing your hands, purify your heart, you double-minded, be afflicted and mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. He says, now suddenly new feelings are going to come into your life when you've been quickened spiritually. Things that never touched you before are suddenly going to touch you. I've seen men who are hardened men. I mean, they're just like a nail. You just couldn't shake them at all. When the Spirit of God comes into their heart, the tears begin to flow down their cheeks, and they're the most gentle, tender, loving people you can ever imagine. Now, what's happened? A new sense of sensitivity and feeling has come into their life. I've seen people who are very arrogant and very proud, and Jesus comes in, and suddenly they see themselves as God sees them, and they just are broken before the Lord. I've seen very incapable, very inept people. Jesus Christ comes in their lives and suddenly a new ability to perform and to do the things that need to be done in the ministry comes into their life. A new person is formed because of it. Because there's a new area of feelings. Now, not, they don't just feel through the flesh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but the love of God begins to flow in their heart and they begin to sense the tenderness and the love of Christ and they allow that to flow out through their lives. They have a new sense of feeling. They've got a new source of input coming down into their heart. The next one is tasting. What verse, what do you think verse Psalm 34, 8 says before you turn to it? Any idea? Oh, I love that verse. Oh, what? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. So difficult sometimes, as I said last week, to try to tell somebody how, how good something is. I talked about my wife's cooking. Many of the rest of the ladies in this church, they're cooking. We've got a fantastic group of cooks in this church. But you know, rather than to try to tell you what it's like many times, I'd rather say, well, don't let me describe it to you. Here, taste for yourself. Isn't that wonderful? People will look at some of the things I eat at home. You know, I'm kind of a health food nut. And I'll make some real mixtures once in a while. For breakfast many times, I'll take some granola cereal and I'll drop in some chopped up dates and some raisins and some nuts and I'll pour milk over and I'll say, here, Jeff, have a bite. Yuck. So what's the matter? It's good. Yeah. Try it. I believe you, you know. <laughs> and I think, you know, that's just the way many people are when you try to tell them how good the Lord is. And we don't comprehend how good he is until we get him into our heart. And then we say, oh, Lord, I just want to taste more of you. More of you, Lord. I just want more and more and more of you. I can't get enough of you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. You find that the Lord is good? You tasted and found he's good? You know what I find? I find the ones that taste him more want more. I find the ones, the closer they get, the ones that are the closest are always the ones that want to get closer. It's an amazing thing to me. I went to a church, and before I, I got to speak in the church, I got to meet some of the people, and I, I just sensed in my spirit some of them that were just on fire for God, just alive in the things of God, just wanted to do everything God wanted them to do. This amazed me. 
And I began to preach, and I preached on commitment to Jesus Christ, and I gave an altar call. Who do you think were the first ones of the altar? The ones that were already on fire for the Lord. The others sitting there, you know, content. I thought, oh, taste and see how good the Lord is. If you really hunger and thirst after him, he says, he'll fill you with righteousness. The last one is smelling. 2 Corinthians 2.16. Let me start with verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one, we are the savor of what? Death unto death, and to the other, the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? You know what Paul is saying? He says, since we've come into Jesus Christ and have been quickened by his spirit, that when we come around those that are dead, we're death to them. If you're unsaved, do you know why being around Christians and especially preachers make you so miserable? I don't really. I'm not that bad of a person. I try to be friendly with everyone. I try to express love to them, but you, you wonder, well, why don't I like to be around that preacher? It's because of what Paul just said there, that when somebody is quickened by the Spirit of God and your heart has not been quickened yet, when I come around, you sense I'm dead, that's alive, I'm dead, that's death to me. It makes me realize I'm dead. Now, you don't think it here. You're sensing it down here in your heart. I'm dead. I'm dead. And that's what Paul says. We are death to the dead. But when I come around other Christians and we're walking in fellowship with the Lord, what a blessing it is just to share with one another life unto life. I impart life to you. You impart life to me. And all of a sudden, I'm wide awake. It's an amazing thing to me. When I see people who are unsaved and don't want a thing to do with me, after they get saved, we can have more fun together. But what happened? All of a sudden, they get a different smell about them, and our smells match up, and we say, glory to God, you re I really love that smell about you. My spirit is smelling Jesus in you. Isn't that what he's saying? We have five new senses suddenly imparting information down through our spirit into our heart, and we begin to compute that information into all the decisions that we make. Now tonight, Lord willing, I want to get into another aspect of it, and that is just because we've been quickened in our spirit doesn't mean there isn't a struggle going on down inside. That old man is still there. We reckon him dead, but he's still there. And we're going to see what kind of an effect that has into our lives. These things have been quickened. You who are quickened, Paul said, cause new information to come down into your heart. Now, you know, I really feel badly for the person that is in this experience and doesn't understand why he can't enjoy Christianity. The word says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth into him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God says, I want to put everlasting life down in your, in your heart. I want to quicken your spirit. And when I do that, you'll be a totally new person. For if any man is in Christ, he is, present tense, a new creation. Old things are, present tense, passed away. Behold, all things are, become new. A new creature in Christ. You have a new, new eyes, new ears, new feelings, new tasting, new smell. And you operate through those new senses. You reckon yourselves alive to that and dead to the old way. That doesn't mean you don't take any information, but you, when that information comes in, it's computed upon a, new, upon a new level or a new plane, the spirit plane. You know, it's very, very difficult to teach in short segments. Jerk, 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 jerk. We get a little bit out, and then about the time we do, we have to quit. 
But I hope that you can get this down into your heart, what God does in the life of a person when they come and repent of their sins and receive Christ as Lord of their life. That's why a person is made a new creation in Jesus Christ. I find that just because a person's been a Christian for years doesn't mean that they don't have to reevaluate their own tongue time and time again. Because every one of us have a tendency to say things, to do things, to speak things that we ought not to speak. And that's why there has to be a constant, consistent, continuous guard set before our mouth. That's what David said, Lord, put a guard before my mouth. I want to share with you that we never come to the place where we can honestly say, well, my tongue is totally always under control. And so, although you, some people might say, well, I've heard messages on the tongue before, this is one area where I believe we have to have line upon line, precept upon precept, here, here a little, there a little, continuously to be reminded of these things. Because this is one of the things that can cause a snare in our life and the lives of those around us more quickly than anything else that I know of, what we say to other people around about us. I told you that every heart of every believer has two sources of information coming to it. That through the physical, and an unsaved man has only coming, that coming through the physical. He's not spiritually alive. I know that Satan, who is a spirit, comes and tries to work in his life. He comes against him, enters into that person, and tries to control him. That's a spiritual force, and tries to control that body. But I'm not talking about the spirit of that man, because that man, the Word says, that we're dead in trespasses and sins, and we're only quickened when Christ comes in. And Satan comes and sends his demonic spirits many times because they need a body in which to dwell, and that's where they operate, in the body of the individual. And they tell that person's mind and all sorts of ideas and all sorts of lies. But when a person is quickened by the Spirit of God, then we have a new source. We said last week of seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and so forth. And we read in Ephesians that when a person comes into Jesus Christ, they are quickened, they are raised, they are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, they are shown the kindness of God, saved by grace through faith unto good works. Now, when that happens, we no longer need to be a bond slave to sin. The Word of God says that He has redeemed us from sin. And when we reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God and begin to walk in that reckoning, we can know what it is to be released from that sin. I said that a Christian is one in whom Christ dwells. But upon re receiving Jesus Christ, God's grace coming to us and giving us the enabling ability to do and understand what God wants us to do in our lives, when that happens, then he imparts divine faith to us and that faith, quickening our spirits and our hearts, causes us to begin to reach out and believe God for these things and see them become a reality in our life. Now, we have, when we become a Christian, this new source or this new input of information I talked about last week. That's why it's so important, once we have been quickened, that the Word of God keeps reminding us, now that you're quickened, now that you're alive, now that you've been raised up, make sure that if you have ears to hear. Make sure you have eyes that see. Because if, if you fail to allow your spiritual life to begin to develop and to grow and to, to listen to these things, then Satan's going to have an advantage over you. Very, very important for us to begin to, just as we've developed these things, I just happen to think of something. You know, when a person loses their sight, their sense of hearing increases tremendously. And if they lose their hearing, their eyesight seems to improve. If they lose their, the use of their arms, their legs seem to get stronger. They develop those areas that are left and the other areas that are removed can't be used anymore. 
And God's saying, don't let any of these areas, your spiritual seeing and hearing and feeling and tasting and smelling, don't let any of those become crippled. Keep them always alert to the things of God. Now, in order to be a successful Christian, I noticed that the Lord gave Joshua a clear declaration of how he could be successful and have success in his walk with God. Turn to Joshua, the first chapter. Let's just look at it for a moment. Just two verses there. Moses had just been taken away. God was placing upon Joshua the mantle of Moses to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And, uh, of course, Moses was probably very, very frightened, very concerned. Now, how in the world are you going to follow me when Moses himself, your very close friend, even had difficulty leading them? How am I supposed to do it now, Lord? Joshua, the first chapter, beginning with verse 7. Well, I'll even take you back to the fifth verse because it's all good. God spoke to Joshua and said, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. You say, boy, that's wonderful that God would promise that to Joshua. Well, if I could hear God say that to me, I'd never be afraid for a moment. And yet he tells us in the book of Hebrews, I will not, I will not, I will not let you go, I will not, I will not let you down. Just the same in the, in the Greek, it, the emphasis was in triad and then duplicate, which it means great emphasis placed upon it. Verse 6, Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Now let me ask you, do you think that he was saying, go wait, lift weights, go run long races when he said be strong and be very courageous? Was he saying now when you build up your muscles till you look like Atlas, Charles Atlas, then, then you'll be strong and of good courage? You see, he was talking about a different type of strength and a different type of courage entirely. He was talking about that spiritual strength, that inner man strength. Verse 7, Only be thou strong, and not just courageous now, but very courageous, that thou mayest observe, and here, here's the premise upon it now, that thou mayest to observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Now there are a lot of people today that are teaching on prosperity, but very few times do I hear them emphasizing that point. God says, I want you to prosper, but there is a necessity, and that is that you obey me. The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein, how often? Day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, if you've done these things, then, see the importance, that's your, that's your pivotal point there. If you've meditated on the word of God day and night, if you've kept the commandments of God, if you've been obedient to me, and if you've walked in the light as you, as, as, uh, you know the light to be given as Moses gave it to you, if you do that then, Thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Joshua 1.9 was the verse that the Lord gave me when he called me into the ministry. I said, Lord, I've got to have a verse, because if you don't go with me and before me and behind me and over me and under me and around me and in and through me, I will not go because I know that in myself I'll mess up every time and you're going to have to, it's going to have to be your ministry. 
And as I was reading the Word of God, he just impressed upon me to read in Joshua. And when I came to that verse, the Lord just said, Have I not? Just spoke it to me. Just, just As I was reading it, it's like he was saying it to me. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Maybe a year ago or two years ago now, someone brought to me a word that the Lord had given them in during their time of prayer. And they said, The Lord told me to bring this to you because you were supposed to hear this from him. And in it, it started off. And this is why it witnessed to my heart and said, did I not tell you that I love you and I love you still? I told you that I'd not leave you and I will not leave you. Just reminded me of what he had said on that day when, I, when the Lord called me into the ministry years ago. I will not leave you. And I thought, what a beautiful, constant comfort that has been to me down through the years. And every time I get into a place where I think that the, you know, the boards are flying away and the roof is gone and the floor is collapsing around me, I just stop and I say, that's all right, Lord. I didn't want to be here in the first place. I'm here because you put me here. So if those boards are going to fly, glory to God. If everything falls apart, glory to God. Because I have to be where you want me to be. And if I'm in the center of the storm, I remember what you told the disciples in the midst of the lake. Be of good cheer. It's I. Be not afraid. He's with me even in the midst of the storm. Now, let me tell you something. If you want to be able to walk in peace, you come to that confident assurance that day by day you have committed your life totally to the Lordship of Jesus Christ without reservation. And say, Lord, I'm going to do the very best I know how spiritually to listen to you and to see what you're trying to say to me. And Lord, it doesn't make any difference what happens around me. My confidence is not in the circumstances. My confidence is in what you have shared with me from the Word. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. You'll lead me by your hand. Now, I'll tell you, if you want to have something to walk on that's solid, you walk on that for a while. And you'll find when the storms come that that becomes a bulwark that the storm can't shake. Someone says, I have to hang on to the rock. No, don't worry about hanging on to the rock. You get on the rock and the rock won't move. You'll be all right. So we see here in, in Joshua 1, verses 7 through 9, that in order to have the success that we ought to have in our Christian life, it requires obedience, steadfastness, speaking the word, meditating on the word, obeying the word, and having overcoming faith in the fact that God will not leave you nor forsake you. Now, I emphasize that because, again, time and time again, it keeps coming back to my remembrance that Jesus told me that there are going to be many, many people who are going to come and hear the word and, by all outward evidences, receive the word, but that things were going to happen along the line that would give evidence that it wasn't a real commitment to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Remember the story of the four soils? I've shared them with you before, and I keep getting reminded of that. The word says that Jesus comes out and he says he's the sower, he sows the seed, and he's the one that plants the seed in your heart. When I'm speaking the word of God, if he doesn't plant it in your heart, it's not going to do any good anyway. If the Holy Spirit doesn't take that word and put it in your heart, it's of no I could stand here till I'm blue in the face and 140 years of age. Unless the Spirit of God is using what I say to speak to your heart. Now he says, I sow the seed. He said some of it falls into the path where everybody's walked. Now he said that's the heart of the person who's who's just been trampled, the ground's been trampled down as hard, and they can't receive the word, and they can't comprehend the word, they can't, they can't get it in. Now, if you have never experienced that when you've been witnessing to someone, it is one of the most frustrating experiences in the world. To take the word of God and say, can't you see what the word says here? Look, God is saying to you. And they just sit there absolutely dead. You say it. That's what God's saying to you. They'll say it. They'll speak it with their lips. What does that say to your heart? And that's the time you wish, oh God, if I could just get a hold of the lid of their heart and open it up and stuff it down in their heart. And God says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And if he doesn't do it, it isn't going to be done. 
That shatters me sometimes when I see that God isn't speaking to some people. Doesn't have anything to say to them. And then he said the next one is where it does fall in, and the man, with joy, they just reach out and grab it, and you think, glory to God, look at that excitement. The first church I ministered in, as I've said before, I, I personally baptized over 300 people in two and a half years. The pastor baptized many besides that. And I would put one down under the water, they'd be shouting and happy and glory to God, and I'd bring them up and I'd think, boy, look out, when they take off, they're going to throw water everywhere, because they're really going to serve the Lord. And then others that were so quiet, I'd think, well, I might as well drown it, it's dead already, you know, and I'd bring it up out of the water, no light, no. You know what, it didn't turn out that way. The one that came up out of the water, just hallelujah, glory to God, and went on, before long it was all steam, and when the roots went down and hit the rock, and the pressures of life, and the heat of the day came up, they just... Burned away, withered away, the Word of God said. It said that they, they didn't have any root. In another place it said they didn't have any moisture. And it just dried up and died. Now God says here in Joshua, that doesn't have to happen in your life. If you, when you receive that truth, you begin to plant that Word down your heart, your eyes and your ears are open to God now, Lord, what would you have me to do? You see, that goes back to what Jesus was saying when he said, if you come to me, there's a cost involved. And don't just jump in and say, hey, I'm just going to follow him. Count the cost before you come. The end result of not doing that is that one, uh, the Satan comes and snatches the seed out. The next one withers up and dies because there's no root. The third one gets choked out with the cares and the deceitfulness of riches of this world. Now, the cares emphasizes those that are so busy trying to make a living that before long they're just completely absorbed in trying to pay their bills and just, you know, just can hardly make it and so they just don't have any time for God. And before long they just get choked out. All life gets choked out. The others are, the deceitfulness of riches is, we're just a little bit more, Lord, and then I'll serve you. Just a little bit more, and then I'll put more time with you. And before long, they just get choked out with the deceitfulness of riches, Jesus said. And it just chokes the life right out. That's why Jesus said, he that hath ears, let him hear. He that hath ears, be careful how you hear it. Be careful what you hear. And I'm emphasizing this again because that's what goes down into the heart here and eventually comes out in words. If you get taken up with the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches of the world, it'll come out here. Your words will soon emphasize those things. Out of the abundance or the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And you see, what we take in as important is the thing that gets down into our heart. And that's why it says meditate on the word of God day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night, and think of the commandments of the Lord. So important for us. The two sources of information, again, coming into the individual. Now, that's going to have a, a different reaction on each individual as it enters into their heart. That which comes from the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, and other Christians witnessing and testifying the truth of God's Word to them. Now, I want you to see what's taking place in the heart of the individual as that goes on. We have here the prompting of God's Spirit for a person that's been born again and there's a constant drawing toward the things of the Lord. The Spirit of God is trying to draw us into obedience to Him. And a warfare takes place the minute a person becomes a Christian because the old God-given physical senses are here, the lower nature is still there, the pull of the lower nature is still there. Paul said, well, read it. Let's, let's turn to Romans, the seventh chapter, quickly and look at this, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Paul experienced it and taught about it. I want to begin reading in Romans, the seventh chapter, verse 15. Paul is talking about a warfare that all of a sudden took place in his heart that he had not experienced before he had come to Christ. And he was trying to figure out what the problem was. He says, for that which I do, I allow not. Now, this, this is very difficult language to get, believe me. You're going to have to really put your heart into this and think with me what he's trying to say. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. That do I not. But what I hate, that I do. You with me? He says, boy, I know what I'd like to do, and that isn't what I'm doing. 
and I know what I don't want to do, and that's what I'm doing, and I'm feeling this conflict. I shouldn't do that, but I keep doing it. I should do this, but I'm not doing it. I know it's hard to understand because none of us have ever gone through that, I'm sure. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He says there's that old lower nature there. That law of sin that's down there that just keeps trying to operate in my life. Just constantly pulling at me. Boy, I want to live for Christ and just keep, oh, I, I keep doing things I know I shouldn't do. He says, it's not me anymore because I don't want to do that. You ever felt that way? I've had people say, oh, I'm so miserable. Why do I keep letting that thing get control of me? Why do I keep letting that thing get victory over me? The law of sin in your life that's still trying to operate. And we have to deal with that thing. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, what's present? Evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. He's saying, that, that's my spirit down in there wants to do God's will. I, it just keeps hungering to do God's will. The inward man does. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now here you have it, the law of God, or the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and the law of the flesh, the law of sin. Now he says that there is only one way he's going to have victory in that. He says with his mind, down into his heart, truth coming this way, he serves God, and this is constantly coming against him, the lower nature trying to get him to do the thing that he ought not to do. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who? I did that on purpose. I hear so many people say, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, period. I don't see a period there. Some people say, brother, I just feel condemnation all over me. Well, then let's search and find out why. It says, there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the what? flesh, but after the spirit. You walk after the flesh, you're going to feel condemnation in your heart. You're going to feel guilt. You're going to feel ashamed. You're going to, you, that's always going to be there. But if you walk after the spirit, the scripture says it won't happen. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me what? Free from the law of sin and death. Now that law is still operating there. The law of sin and death is still in operation, trying to function in your life and mine. But Paul says now something has taken place. Now Paul says that law of gravity is there, pulling me down, pulling me down, pulling me down. But he said something set me free from the law of gravity. What was it? The law of life in Christ Jesus. Now how does that happen? Some time ago, you know, I, I flew to Dallas, Texas. And between here and Dallas, Texas, there was no law of gravity. There must not have been. I mean, I just went right up in the air and just sailed through the air hundreds of miles an hour, just as smooth as could be. The laws, there is no law of gravity between here and Dallas, is there? Is there? Well, then why didn't I come down until I wanted to? There was another law that took place that superseded that law, wasn't there? 
The law of sin and death is always there, pulling down, pulling down. And Paul says there's just one thing that's going to set me free from that, and that's the law of life in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And he said, I can come away from that law, and I can supersede that law, and I can have victory above that law in Christ Jesus. When I walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Because if I walk after the spirit, I'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That lower nature, that lower law of gravity won't have control over me anymore. If I walk in the spirit, what does it mean? Allow that to feed my spirit and can be controlled by that power and that force rather than that which comes from the flesh and the lower nature. Now, when I got in that plane, they, they learned, of course, the, the Wright brothers had to work and work and work on it. A lot of the guys killed themselves, you know, gluing feathers and everything through their arms and jumping out in space and scrunch. They hit the ground and they tried all those things, but finally the Wright brothers just happened to be the first ones that found out how to build a wing and curve the wing so that it would give more lift and it would overcome the law of gravity. Now they didn't invent the law of aerodynamics, did they? They just simply found out about it. It was there all the time. And this is what Paul says, I didn't invent the law of life in the spirit or the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. He says, I discovered it that this is the way I can have victory. I overcome that lower law of gravity that's pulling me down by coming into the law of aerodynamics in the Spirit to where I rise up above it and I find victory in Jesus Christ. Now, that what I want to do, I'm not doing, and I'm finding out why now, because that's the flesh, and that's that old nature, and that's the law that's within me, and the only way I can overcome that law is to have it superseded by a stronger law, and that's the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus, walking in the Spirit. I mean, they built those wings on that plane just right so that all... Now, again, I say, it didn't eliminate that law of gravity. All we'd have had to do is just have one or two of those motors fall off and screw it taken over again, and we'd have crashed. But Paul says, that's where victory is found. When I allow that life and that power of the Spirit to take control of my life, and I walk in the Spirit, that I do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let me go on now. Verse 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh... God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh, they that are controlled by the law of gravity, the lower nature, the pulling down force, they that are controlled by that law, what? Can not please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is what? Dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now the body is death, wherein this information comes in through the soul of that lower nature constantly working. That breeds death. That de develops death within you more and more to where it controls you more and more. Faith begins to fade out. Faith begins to lose its hold in your life. But if you continue to be fed in the things of the Spirit of God and be led by the Spirit of God and obey the Word of God, if you meditate on the commandments of the Lord and walk in the light of God's Word day and night, day and night, day and night, He says you'll prosper in all your ways and God's blessings will be upon you and He'll make your way prosperous. Now why? It is so completely important because we become what we think and what we become is what we speak. 
It's easy to say, I'm going to control this tongue, but we've got to go back further to what we're allowing to control our heart and what we're allowing to control our mind. All right? Now, with these two sources of information becoming available to you, a warfare begins to take place in the life of every believer. Now, that's why I, I want you to understand some people that say, oh, if you'll just become a Christian, all your problems will be over. How many of you believe that? If you believe that, I've got some swampland I want to show you. Because you'll believe just about anything. Nowhere does the Word of God say that when you become a Christian, all your troubles and all your burdens are gone. Instead, it says, be aware, be aware of one thing, you are going to suffer persecution. The world is going to hate you. The enemy is going to account you as being on against him, and therefore warfare is going to be declared against you by Satan and all of his forces. The lower nature that is within the person, the pull of the lower nature, as I talked about the, the law of gravity last week, and the prompting of God's Spirit trying to draw us into a position of obedience to the Lord is in constant warfare. And again, I'll use the illustration because it's so uh, descriptive of the Indian who made a decision to accept Christ and later came to the missionary and said, there are two dogs inside of me fighting, a white one and a black one. The lower nature and the Spirit of God within him. And the missionary said, that's interesting. He said, which one is winning? He said, whichever one I feed. I don't know how I could describe it any more perfectly than that India did because there's the lower nature and the Word of God says to put off the former lusts and to put on a new nature, doesn't it? Put off the old nature, put on the new nature. Don't yield your members anymore as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but now yield them as instruments of righteousness unto God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you make a choice now. There's this pull and there's this pull, but because your spirit has been quickened and you've been born of the Spirit of God, you've been given a new heart, a new mind, you have the mind of Christ, now yield your total obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and recognize, reckon this as being absolutely dead unto sin. Now that struggle comes... And it becomes more persistent until we can come to the place where Paul talks about reckoning ourselves dead indeed unto sin. And again, what does it mean to reckon? Consider it as done. Well, Brother Webb, I can't do that because I am constantly being tempted. I'm being constantly tried. That is, has nothing to do with it. Does that, because you're tempted and tested and tried, does that mean you're not a Christian? No. Well, how do you know you're saved? Well, because I, I trusted Christ and I believe the Word of God. That's the same basis upon which you have to recognize that the old nature is dead and you're made alive in Jesus Christ and you're no longer subject to, but dead now to sin, the old sin nature. Someone said one time, the only way I can, I can state it is when a fella is dating girls, you know, these macho men that date all these girls, just really popular with all the ladies. And they've got their little black book. I don't have one, but they, they have this little black book they pull out and they say, is it going to be Sally or Sharon or Karen? Or who is it going to be this, this week to go out with? And then suddenly Miss Wright comes along. And when Miss Wright comes along and he pops the question to her, he chases her until she catches him. And then he pops the question to her and she says, I do. And they walk down the aisle and they commit themselves to one another for life. Now that young man has this little black book with all these names in it. As he's walking down the street the next week, Karen walks by, the same Karen that he had dated before he met Miss Wright. She is exactly the same physically, exactly the same mentally, intellectually, in every other way, but suddenly something has taken place inside of him. She has not changed. 
But suddenly, in his perspective, in that relationship, she's dead. You understand what I'm saying? She's just the very same, but a new relationship has taken place between him and her to where now this to this one to whom he has yielded himself to, to live with and to love and to honor and protect and cherish for throughout life, that has become a oneness with him. So when he walks by Karen and Sharon and Sally and all the rest of them, they may still be the same person, but to him, that relationship is dead. That was once there. Does that mean that that relationship could not be revived? Uh, you and I know well enough that there are many men, married men that have gone around that have forsaken the commitment that they've made to their wife of their youth and they've gone off with other women. It's totally possible to do that. You and I know that that would be possible at any time. But because of this new relationship, if it's a genuine relationship, the other relationships are dead. 